0: like electricity, the internet, space exploration. There's been reforms of human rights, women's rights, end of slavery, tragedies even, wars, genocides, pandemics, and economic recessions. These are days and moments, eras that have shaped history. But there's one day that shapes history more than all the discoveries and then all of the tragedies. One moment in history, some 2,000 years ago. It's the moment that has continued to be celebrated for 2,000 years, the moment we've been celebrating from early in the morning till now. The resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, a man who claimed to be God, who healed the sick, Raise the dead and claim to be the long awaited Savior, Messiah. Let's investigate a primary source which describes this historical account that claims his resurrection. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. and in, in it, the Apostle Paul, who was a, defa- a devout Jewish religious leader of the Pharisees was well known to persecute the early followers of Jesus, arresting them and sending them to their deaths. But he was confronted by the risen Jesus, arresting uh, the Christians, but then he found himself arrested in this moment, captivated by the risen Jesus, and it transformed and shaped the rest of his life. He became one of the most prominent leaders of the first century church. Contrary to his previous religious tradition, uh, he became a distinguished leader of the church, an apostle. And he writes this letter to the gathered Christ followers in the city of Corinth in the year 55 AD. About 22 years after this historical moment of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's writing this chapter to respond to some people within and some people outside of the church who have never believed that resurrection is possible, who have never witnessed the risen Christ, and who have never experienced their own lives being shaped by the reality of the resurrection. He's writing to show them why they ought to believe this historical event, how it changes their lives and he encourages them to stand firm in this reality. So please join me in reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 to 8. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are, are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And at last, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Would you join me in prayer as we ask God to speak to us? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can come to you, that you are the risen one. You're here with us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would speak to us from these scriptures here, that you would speak to us with, that we would have humble hearts to receive your word that we would encounter you, our risen Christ, our risen Lord, and that you would shape our lives by your resurrection. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Christ's resurrection shapes all of history. Christ's resurrection shapes all of history. This morning, we're looking at how history is shaped for Christ's resurrection, how his resurrection shapes the rest of history, and how Christ's resurrection shapes this moment in history. History is shaped for Christ's resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 2 to 4, or 3 to 4, it reads, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. According to virtually all scholars, what Paul just wrote here is an early church creed. Uh, We kind of mentioned this uh, in our summer series, Global Historical Faith, going through the Apostles' Creed. This is one of the first church creeds. Uh, that dating back to within five years of Jesus' death. This became a saying that people would say often, recording, remembering Jesus' death and resurrection. And twice the Apostle Paul mentions that what happened to Jesus was according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. By this, he's not referring to what Jesus, as recorded in the New Testament, uh, predicted would happen. Jesus certainly did predict these things and openly warned his disciples, giving them a heads up: "This is going to happen. Get ready. I'm going to die, but on the third day I'm going to be raised again." And they were a little bit dull, and so they didn't fully sink. This didn't fully sink in, and it was a surprise to them when it happened. But it's not referring to this. When Paul is saying, "According to the scriptures," He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He's referring to the ancient sacred scriptures of the Bible that were written hundreds of years ago, that they were looking forward to their fulfillment in the promised Messiah. We see that according to the scriptures, death is undeniable. It's just common sense for us now. Oh, of course death happens. Did you hear about the statistic that 10 out of 10 people die? Yeah, Yeah, it's been verified. (laughs) Scientific proof. proof, There we go. Yeah. Death is undeniable. And in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible, we see in the Garden of Eden, humanity goes from garden to grave. That is the, the first instance where we see death coming into human history. Our decisions to reject the author of life leads to our inevitable death. You reject the source of life and the logical consequence is death. Because of the first rebellion of humanity against God, all of humanity has been deeply affected by the consequences of sin. We all have, it's just altered our spiritual DNA. We all have this sin in us that causes death and pain around the world life is interrupted by death sometimes painfully and slowly sometimes abruptly and it's shocking and we see also that according to the scriptures death is not the end of the story the savior is promised the resurrection is promised And it's longed for, for hundreds of years. We see according to the scriptures, Isaiah 26, verse 19 says, But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. The dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14 I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death, says God. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And we see that according to the scriptures, that there would be a particular person in history that would be brutally interrupted by death, but then victoriously resurrected and would bring hope to all those who trust in God. In Isaiah chapter 53, often read on Easter Sunday, reasonably so. Verse 5 to 6 says, but he, it's, it's referring to this one particular person. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we're healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8 By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. But then in verses 10 to 11, the tone goes from death to life after death. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. It was according to the scriptures that the suffering servant, the Messiah, would die for the people's sin and be raised to life. And Jesus died and rose again just as the scriptures predicted. All of history was shaped to lead up to this resurrection moment. And Christ's resurrection shapes the rest of history. It shapes the rest of history. Unlike many Eastern religions or stories of the Greek gods, the resurrection of Jesus is not a myth and not a mere moral story to help us to be better people. No, it is a historical account grounded in the facts, verified by eyewitnesses, and it changed the trajectory of billions of lives around the world throughout history. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 to 8. Verse 4 continues saying that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is, Peter. And to the 12, the 12 closest apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Go check it out. Though some have fallen asleep. A euphemism for dying because they will be woken up again in resurrection. Then he appeared to James, his brother, who was also kind of skeptical about him. And then to the apostles. And at last he appeared to me also, Paul as to one abnormally born. Here the Apostle Paul claims that the resurrection of Jesus was predicted in history, but it was preserved as an eye account witness. Uh, There were witnesses bringing together this coordinated account, this is what I saw, this is what I saw, this is what I saw, and it all came together, these puzzle pieces. Jesus appeared to many different disciples at different times and he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. Now, some skeptics have thought that some of Jesus' closest disciples were hallucinating on hopeful thoughts. You know, they've got despair, their savior died, their hopes were dashed. The scriptures even talk about how they were so depressed and sad. So maybe they just had these hopeful thoughts and they saw what they wanted to see. Oh, how about that? But you've got to even be more skeptical about the possibility that 500 people were having a corporate hallucination of the same thing at the same time. Come on. Be skeptical about that. Albert Henry Ross, an author of the pseudonym Frank Morrison. Anyone heard of Frank Morrison? Well, you should check him out. He was skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus. And he was determined to analyze the sources available and write a short paper that would prove that Jesus' resurrection was merely a myth and not actually a historical account. That was his mission. I'm going to write this thesis paper. It was a myth. We can just get on with our lives. But as he gathered all the data, he became convinced of the truth of the resurrection and laid out his reasoning in a book titled, Who Moved the Stone? Who Moved the Stone? And in this book, he describes the surprising development of this book in its preface. He writes in the third person here, the inner story of a man who originally set out to write one kind of book and found himself compelled by the sheer force of circumstances to write another. compelled by the sheer force of circumstances to write another. It is not that the facts themselves altered, for they are recorded imperishably in the monuments and in the pages of human history, but in the interpretation upon the facts underwent a change. The interpretation of the facts underwent a change. Somehow the perspective shifted. Not suddenly as in a flash of insight or inspiration, but slowly, almost imperceptibly, by the very stubbornness of the facts themselves. His perception about the resurrection accounts changed because of the stubbornness of the facts themselves. He was faced with the historical account. And much like Ross the disciples had a change in interpretation of the events based on the facts many of the disciples themselves they they were doubtful one has been <laughs> known as doubting thomas right he gets a bad rep but many of them were like i need to see this for myself and then jesus revealed himself to them and they went from a skeptic to a believer Consider the words from the Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. John chapter 1, uh, 1 John, his letter, first John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. That which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. New Testament scholar Paula Friedrichsen, who is not a Christian herself, commented on the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And she said, I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say. And then all the historic evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I do know that as a historian, that they must have seen something. So she's getting some of these puzzle pieces, and she's like, they definitely saw something that changed their lives, that shaped the rest of their history. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. And her story's not finished yet. She's on a journey. Consider how the disciples' lives changed because of the resurrection. The disciples were afraid. They were afraid of people who could persecute them. When Jesus resurrected and revealed himself to them, they became unafraid of death, unafraid of persecution. They went from despair to determination. They went from cowardly to courageous. The apostle Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was persecuting Christians, and then he's preaching Jesus. The church has new life through the resurrection, and it was through these convinced accounts that Christians went to preach Jesus at the cost of their own death. The martyrs, and there were countless martyrs. And you know what happened when these martyrs, these witnesses of Jesus died? The church had more resurrection. The church grew and grew. Death doesn't stop Jesus. He has victory over it. Death doesn't stop the church. It grows through persecution. And sometimes when when Western society gets so comfortable and there's no persecution, that Christians don't fully live in that resurrection life. But we see revivals around the world because it's not easy to be a Christian. Their lives are sometimes risked, but they are courageous because of Jesus' resurrection. Death is not the end of the story. In Christ's resurrection shapes the rest of history, and it shapes this moment in history. Right here, you and I, all together, his resurrection can shape this moment. In verses 14 to 19 of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul lays out a series of if-then statements. If this is the case, then this is what you get. A logical string of reasoning for what the consequences are if there's no resurrection. And David mentioned this at the beginning of the service. He's raising the stakes. Okay, what if there's no resurrection? Yeah, just live a good life, you know? No, no, no. If there's no resurrection, there's a whole bunch of stuff just crumbles. This is key. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15:14 onward. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Why am I standing here? My preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Oh, we're just liars saying good ways to live a good life. No. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but... He did not raise them if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been ri- raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. David said, There's no condemnation, your sins are paid for. Not if there's no resurrection. That's right. And I, I just had this thought this morning when we were at the, the early service at the pond. That when Jesus said to the paralytic who went through the roof, first he said, your sins are forgiven. And they were like surprised. Who can forgive sins? And he says, to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I tell you, person who is paralytic, who can't walk, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he was raised and he was healed. And people saw, wow, that's true. He His sins were forgiven and we see that in him being raised up healed. Jesus forgave your sins. He died on the cross. He forgave your sins. How do we know that? Well, he proved his power and his authority in his resurrection. So it all hangs on the resurrection. You you cannot be a a legitimate Christian and be like, "Ah, I don't know about the resurrection. Yeah, he died for my sins, but I think he's still in the grave. It just doesn't work that way. This is key. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins and you're lost. We still are guilty before a holy and righteous God. And there is no payment for sin. And then if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people, most to be pitied. Because they live differently because of Jesus. And some people are like, well, I'm going to get the most of this life. I'm going to like drink and do drugs or whatever. And they're like, we're going, to, we're going to live fully for God and everything that that looks like. And that might look different from the world. And if this life is all there is, then maybe they are missing out on something. But if this life is not all there is, but there is resurrection, and there is eternal life. There is life after death. And you're not missing out. Do you, ever feel, do you ever feel like you got FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, remember that there is resurrection. And there is way more life than this short little window that we call life here. Hallelujah. The apostles risked their whole lives based on this reality. It changed their lives. It shaped their trajectory. It guided their decision-making. They would, have been, they would have lived so much more differently. And how about you? Is your life defined by death at the end or life after death? Are you trying to live as though this life is all you have? Check off everything from your bucket list because then you're just a pile of dirt Are you stressed about what your life is amounting to? Are you afraid to miss out and not experience enough? Are you afraid of dying? Afraid of your own mortality? Or maybe your life is defined by the fact that there is life after death. And it makes all these worries go strangely dim, muted, And you're looking boldly forward, knowing that after death, the resurrected King will raise you up too. Fullness of life is defined by the resurrection, or it's denied in our denial of resurrection. Fullness of life, it's defined by the resurrection, or it's denied in your denial of the resurrection. You choose. Is your life defined by death or by resurrection? Are you concerned that your life will suddenly be interrupted by death? Or are you glad to know that your death will be interrupted by life? Your death will be interrupted by life if you turn your life to Jesus. Jesus says, whoever tries to keep their own life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find life. And he gives life and life to the full. You could be overwhelmed by the grief of the death of a loved one, and I understand it's painful. There could be many people who've been grieving deaths, of uh, people who've lost their lives in COVID-19, those who've died in the war in Ukraine. It seems that their lives were brutally interrupted by the grave. But death is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. There's also a garden. It seemed as though Jesus' beautiful life was tragically interrupted by the grave. But after three days, he rose from the grave and was seen in a garden. He was even, someone even was mistakenly thought that he was the gardener, Mary. She was so distraught, she said to the, who she thought was the gardener, tell me where Jesus is, tell me where they put him. It's like, Mary, it's me. There is a garden. And this brings us back to the picture of Genesis. His resurrection makes a way for the life giving peace of Eden, the shalom of the garden to fill the world with life, to overflow and overcome the graves of life. Christ's resurrection shapes all of history past, future, and present. Will you allow it to shape this moment, your life in history? We have a short little bit of time called life here right now. Will you allow him to shape you with his resurrection life, interrupted by a grave or a garden? I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. Right after all these if then statements that the apostle Paul makes, he makes sure to make it clear in verse 20, which we heard at the beginning of the service. But if Christ but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Death does not have the final word. Jesus takes us from grave to garden. Death is interrupted by victorious resurrection. Sickness does not have the last word. Death does not have to define you. Jesus is risen. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is unstoppable. Why don't you just live for him? Don't spend your days worrying about death. Spend your days being excited about life after death, about life to the full that he gives you right now. He offers resurrection life today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to look to you. We want to stand firm in the reality of your resurrection. Jesus, I thank you that you have a better word than death. Thank you that death doesn't define our lives. Lord, we want you and your resurrection to define our lives. Jesus, would you give us hope beyond all the things that show up in the news? Would you give us boldness where most people would be afraid where we might be afraid. Lord, would you give us confidence to face the day with your resurrection life. Lord, let us live in your victory because you have paid for our sins and you have been raised to life and you will bring us with you. Lord, for those who have not yet turned their lives to you, pray, Lord, that they would turn their lives to you today, that you would shape the rest of their lives with your resurrection life. Lord, if there's anything that's holding them back, Lord, would you show them, and would you show them how you are better than all their fears, than all the things that hold them back? Jesus, we turn our lives to you right now. Lord, be our Lord. Lead us in your life. We want to turn away from the things of death, trying to do things on our own, and we want to walk in your ways, in your ways of life. Jesus, we, we thank you that you hear our prayers and you love to respond. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.